All right, people. Welcome to Jessica Jones. Season 1, Episode 2, a.k.a. Crush Syndrome. One of the great things about Netflix, obviously, because it's meant for binge-watching, people certainly don't wait weeks between watching episodes. You don't have to do the previously in Jessica Jones. You just jump right into it. Now, this is one of those shows I never skip the opening music because it just gets me in the mood, even if I'm watching three four episodes in a row. This is, art-wise, probably the best opener uh, ever. And it, it's, you know, classic, but original P.I. music. Very reminiscent of Homeland with the jazz playing. But then, here come the guitars. This is brilliant music writing. You guys know I'm a musician and a music professional. I'll talk about music a lot in movies. Uh, I mean, this these chord progressions, <laughs> I'm sorry, are just crazy. And you think that's going to be it. But no... Boom, Melissa Rosenberg and Brian Michael Bendis, the guitar solo. It's like Slash. I don't know who they got to do this music. It is just amazing. And there's the drawing of Jessica Jones. This is what's so brilliant about the marketing campaign is that at first and still now, you know, like half the images are drawings or, you know, impressionistic paintings or so forth of this beautiful and amazing woman, Kristen Ritter, a.k.a. Jessica Jones. But it's not like they're trying to hide an unattractive lead. I mean, you know, Kristen Ritter's a slightly untraditional beauty, I suppose. But with the huge eyes, the contrast of the pale skin and the hair and the lips, very distinct nose, classic look. And here we go. You're in episode two, and you're like, it's Freeman from The Wire. Oh, man. It's been a long night. He's great. I mean, he can't be com- as uh, he can't be as complex <laughs> as he was as Freeman in the Wire, uh, but the gravitas and the experience carries over. You totally buy him as a old school, you know, old timer, but legendary investigator. Here, right. So they have to uh, interview Jessica because she was working on the case, and they need to know what she knows. Definitely accusatory. I mean, they always play scenes this way in movies and television. You can't have the the cop be nice. I love antiques. That is definitely a reference to The Wire and the antiques that he's painting all the time. Oh, you're right. Did you know? She's intimidated by no one. She comes to respect this guy a lot. God. Bullets in her parents. Yeah. I guess she got a gun. This is the thing. She's actually, you know, Jessica is working on the investigation in here as he is interrogating her. She's trying to get information too in subtle ways. And, you know, Jessica being the lead investigator, even though she has no official sanction to do so, but because of her, you know, feeling horrible for Hope and and wanting to save her is what keeps Jessica on the good side throughout the series, despite everything. This is bad for business. So they've been surveilling her. Unlicensed. (laughs) That's it. Yep. Trying to make a goddamn living in this goddamn city it sums it up. She doesn't really believe that level of cynicism, of course, um, but you know, she feels like she has to based on her experiences. 
Look at the shooting. I mean, upside down, diagonal. They totally nailed the feel of New York. You never feel like you're not in New York. That's the thing. Daredevil was shot all in New York. But because it was so highly stylized, at points you're like, is this a set? Is this another city? Uh-oh, there's Luke. Right, now I think Luke gets pissed up here for the investigation. Yeah, she's constantly scurrying him over. Uh, at least until later in the series when the tables turn. I mean, they just linger on the on these shots through the window, the long shot from outside, bright daylight, beautiful bar. Yeah, he's mad. He doesn't know how bad he's going to get with her, though, when he finds out the truth. Right. He says, I don't need the police up in my shit. So what, you know, what's going on that he's so, you know, scared of, or maybe he just hates the bother. Mm. Look, she's so, she's so vulnerable. It's amazing. She's trying, this is the Claire Danes thing. Claire Danes does it so well. She's such a badass. She's so confident. She doesn't let, you know, sexism or chauvinism, you know, stop her. But when she knows she's wrong and she's being called out on it by a good person, you know, that's when the vulnerability comes out. And that's what makes them wonderful, wonderful TV characters. All right. All right. I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> Both. <laughs> yeah. <gasps> uh. So it's possible. Okay, so... Because this is my first full television series that I'm doing, it's it's a little weird, you know, doing 13 hours. I'm trying to spread out recording them, trying to find themes to run throughout. And so because this is a case of a show that succeeds brilliantly, even without the, you know, the super fun and surprising plot turns, and then you combine the two, it makes it a great all-time television series. So the question is, when does Kilgrave... And again, I'm assuming you guys have seen uh, this show all the way through. There's Kristen Ritter in a towel deciding whether to kill a cockroach. I felt like she was definitely going to kill the cockroach when I first saw this. I think she does, ultimately. She tries to save him first. He goes down the drain and then comes back later and she smashes it. Um, so is Kilgrave involved with Luke now? Because I can get why he's so pissed at her for surveilling him, causing him a lot of problems, and then sleeping with him. She says the wrong thing, which she'll correct later, which is that she wanted to do it. And that wasn't part of the job. You know, she really is attracted to that guy. Moving camera. Um, <laughs> everyone's locked up. That shot there, the kid in, the, in isolation reminiscent of the beginning of Creed. When Young Adonis is uh, constantly getting in trouble for fighting at Juvie. I don't know if this is Juvie. I guess she's in college, so this is adult prison. Yeah, Hope's in college, even though she's young as an actress. Okay, Erin Moriarty and her performance, even though she's not in all the episodes, and sometimes it's very... Look at that look. Oh, my God. They picked the perfect face, voice, and actress for this role. She's so traumatized, both by her slavery and killing her parents. And Jessica is reliving everything through hope. And so even late in the series, when Jessica 
comes to the realization that she is the one person that can fight Kilgrave, you know, she's still thinking of... Oh, uh, here we go. She's still thinking of this. Right, he never tortured Je uh, Jessica like this. Right, the long jump. She's a track star. Number two in this day. He never tortured Jessica. He truly loved Jessica and loves her, as we'll find out. Uh, he, you know, he, he raped her and made her do bad things in that sense, but he, he didn't play games with her. It doesn't seem like in this sort of way, making someone jump just for, you know, <laughs> circus-like entertainment. Moriarty kills it. Oh, it's your fault. Yep, and this was where it starts. He talks about Jessica to everybody. They all know who she is before she gets there. He's mad, wants to make me suffer. Jessica puts together the plan very quickly, you know. But it's the decisions throughout the middle of the series that cause problems. Look at this. Oh, my God. This could be so over the top, but it's, it's so restrained. The filming is perfect. They don't go too long on that. And this is the first time Hope... Oh, man, you should kill yourself. There are so many meanings behind that. I've seen the series. This must be the third time through for me. I never am quite sure what what she's saying. Right, I'm the only one who knows you're innocent. And this, they accomplish so much in that scene. Hope at first won't talk to her, and then she's kind of talking to herself, reliving the nightmare of killing her parents and being a slave of Kilgrave. Then she blames it on Jessica... Tells Jessica she should kill herself. Realizes that it's not Jessica's fault. And starts to think Jessica could actually help her. And that's really the most important central arc from a character standpoint in Jessica's motivation through the rest of the series. <laughs> There's Pam, the hot secretary. Uh, this is great. Right. So... It's important that Hogarth here, Carrie Ann Moss, knows that the people are with superpowers because she knows Jessica has them. So even though she plays hard to get in terms of Jessica's cell of the, uh, you know, the the mind reading or the mind control, um, you know, she knows Hogarth is, is one of the few people that is at least open to the idea of weird powers manifesting themselves. <laughs> massages make me tense. I uh, I feel the same way. I don't, I don't like traditional massages. <laughs> and the jump between Breaking Bad and this, you know, I mean, you could tell she had it as Jane in Breaking Bad, but, you know, they saw something in her, just like the Breaking Bad fans did. They loved her. She was a cult character that people loved. And that's part of what made this successful even before it ever dropped. If I can convince you, will you represent her? Uh-oh, this is important. The favor. Carrie Moss is so great at being bitchy. I love it. I'll owe you a favor. And that favor causes huge, huge problems for everyone down the road. Yeah, Jessica's not in it for the money. She claims she's trying to get by. <laughs> Pam. Uh-oh. This, you know, the plot, she knows, the wife knows, the plot moves along so quickly. It's really amazing how much they squeeze in the first three episodes. Usually you have to watch five or six. 
uh, of a first season to get into it. I was in it after the first. This one really pushes things forward. But once we meet Kilgrave, and I'll get back to the fact that we meet Kilgrave full on uh, before I thought, long before. But what, you know, which is a great choice. We'll get back to that. Here's Trish. All right, she's following it. Yeah, it's such a great turn when we see how badass Trish is. She just seems like a sweet friend here. You need help, right? This is the beginning of Trish wanting to help her. Yeah, the thing is, the lines with w- different female actress could come off as bitchy and whiny, but they're so sincere coming from Rachel Taylor here, again, with amazing American accent being Australian. I mean, she sounds more American than Americans. Dissatisfied customer. <laughs> that was the very first scene of the first episode, of course. Yeah, tr- I mean, there wasn't even getting over anything with Trish. It, you know, I, I immediately bought their chemistry. They're such a great team. I think they're going to fight together going forward, even though she doesn't have, uh, Trista doesn't have traditional superpowers. Um, and what's brilliant is we find out that she's a child TV star, which could have ruined her life. She's a horrible stage mom. But instead of leaving the entertainment industry, Trish, as a young adult, got her shit together, got free from her mom because Jessica threatened her, as we'll see much later when they were like 16. Jessica, who had been adopted physically, like threw her mom across the room. Uh, from that moment forward, Trish had freedom in a way she never thought possible. And that's part of why she loves Jessica giving her that freedom she's no longer beholden to her mom's manipulations and commands and becomes not just a radio personality which is way cooler than a tv personality but one that talks about very serious issues and that ends up being an important plot point in terms of Kilgrave getting on and her talking about what's going on with Hope Schlotman as we'll see down the road she you know she's she's a woman of the people you always get random people on the street saying how much they love her but she talks about intelligent issues it's a very optimistic um view of mankind and i think you know the the rise of podcast culture is related to this you know it's like with 4k tvs people dropping all sorts of money on their sound and video setup you know um, and, and sidebar, you know, Jessica's trying so hard to get to get Trish clear. That's it. I can't risk you. That solves the whole relationship. That's it. We've barely met Trish. And we know how much Jessica loves her. JJ loves her Trish. And when she finally lets Trish in, you know, it, it's exactly what she needs. But she's not there yet. She's scared for anyone that she touches, like Hope. Yeah, she wants Trish to know that she's trying to be for real. I like it. Oh, God, she's good, Rachel Taylor. You needed another strong side character. But to make her, you know, an intelligent radio personality who, on paper, being a child TV star, would have been the last person you'd think would be friends with Jessica. Jessica gets adopted, you know, it's somewhat dubious, uh, way uh by trisha's mom as like a pr move they couldn't be more different but 
and they don't really get along as kids. One of the best parts of the later part of the series is the is the flashbacks to like sixteen year old Trish and uh, JJ, and they, you know they don't really like each other. Um, JJ's whole family had died. She was the only one to live, and uh, uh, I'm just a booty call for you anyway. Yeah, here's Luke Cage being kind of a dick. But Jessica is is horrified at the way Trisha's mom treats her. I mean, she makes her be bulimic, makes her throw up to lose weight as a child. And, and Jessica eventually has enough of it, as I mentioned, you know, threatens and, and you know, physically attacks uh, briefly Trisha's mom and her adopted mom. And uh, she's JJ's only real friend. So, right, here comes the Mr. X that, again, are being manipulated by Kilgrave, and you don't really understand it till later, or maybe even a second watching. So, then th- that was the other big clue, by the way, as I mentioned in the first episode, that Kilgrave was behind Jessica investigating Luke for whatever reason. Well, we know for what reason, because of Luke's wife and Jessica's connection to Luke's wife. Right, now she's going back to the incident. There she is. Luke's ex, or, or, or I should say, you know, dead, passed away wife that Jessica kills that we learn about. Or at least is made to kill by Kilgrave. <laughs> I mean, you know, in these uh, TV shows, ju- the, the, the whiskey is just sugar water, basically. You have to con- oh, what a shot of her leaning back. Subtle camera movements to the right. You know, great amount of clippings. She's moving her chair to the left, slight camera movement. I mean, this is just brilliantly executed from a filmic standpoint. Even if the script hadn't been as good as this one, and there's the weird twins again. Um, look at that framing with the window and the lamp. I mean, every shot is just you know a piece of art, and that's why the you know moving impressionistic blue purple uh artwork uh and the title in the beginning both um is so effective is it completely works with the show and i often talk about color palettes the matrix obviously was green batman is blue slash black daredevil is red and this is blue purple for sure which with jj which which is great she's a very purple personality i love the color purple shut up <laughs> Lush. Yeah, the redhead is hilarious. <laughs> Cordon Blue. French for chicken. <laughs> Boo Bear. Good uh, uh I have later the 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 series. If you don't like it. People distract me. Later in the series, uh, the, the red-headed twin calls, calls Jessica a harpy. <laughs> she hates her. Self-respect gets some. Oh, man. And he's in his underwear. <laughs> oh. Yeah, this is the best comedy in the Marvel Universe. I mean, the first Thor movie on Earth with Natalie Portman and Skarsgård and Kat Dennings and, and Hemsworth is amazing. The Whedon stuff is great. You know, Cap's, uh, Cap Winter Soldier, you know, had, had some cutesy kind of comedy in the Dark Knight kind of sense, but this is the most relatable and the most hilarious. You know, the, the humor in shows like this with the depth 
Uh-oh, here it is. This is it. If you've seen this whole show and you come back and you see this scene, this describes the entire season and what's going to happen. Oh, the way they flip that bus, man, going from practical to CGI is spectacular. And, you know, you think he's going to get hit head on, but they had to make it believable that he would be critically wounded. And he saves himself by, like, taking organs from other people later, as we find out. Um, you know, you see it there. You're like, oh, okay, I can see why I didn't die. But the key shot is him yelling, Jessica, get back here, and her walking away. And that's when she, um, and that's why when she starts executing her plan to get close to Kilgrave so that she can take him down, and she has a suspicion that she's not under his control anymore, but it's not confirmed till much later. You know, as a comic book person, when you're talking about comparative powers and people losing and gaining powers, the second time they showed that flashback we just saw with the bus and the Jessica, get back here, and her walking away, they show a little bit more. When I saw that the second time, I'm going, okay, she maybe has broken through and is just scared that she hasn't, but has a suspicion that she has, that she can get close to Kilgrave. We will get back to that. Yeah, and by the way, you know, we're only like 21 minutes in. Look how much more they've set up. It feels like four episodes of of content so far, and one and a half with almost no outright exposition. Yep, and just like Claire Danes, she has a, a sexy but slightly awkward walk. You know, that's a little, um, you know, forced. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Breaking locks and opening doors. That's the key. I love this. She just goes through everyone's locker. You know, she's she's putting on the tough, sexy vibe a little bit, even though she has it. Just her physical movements are a little uh, off kilter, which makes it even more effective. <laughs> Uh, right, okay. So thus begins the investigation of how he might have survived the the bus crash. <laughs> this is great. And this is totally a Jane uh, Margulis moment from Breaking Bad in the sense of, you know, Jane, if she was forced to do this for some reason, would have the same exact disgusted reaction as, as J.J. does. I mean, even though Claire Danes is sexy in her own weird way, you know, I often tell people when they know I'm obsessed with Claire Danes, it's like, yeah, it's not really a sexual thing. I, I just like Claire Danes is, you know, I say it's the, the, the one woman from Hollywood I'd love to be best friends with. She's like my age. We have a lot of shared interests and shared understandings of the world. Uh, she clearly understands things that most actresses don't based on her role in Homeland. And Kristen Ritter is someone else uh, that's on that list of just wanting to be BFF. It's like, uh, you know, and knocked up, you know, they're in the diner after having sex the night before and they're all hung over and, uh, and Seth Rogen's trying to connect to, um, uh, shit, I always forget her name, the beautiful blonde, um, at, who plays Allison, Seth Rogen's playing Ben and, you know, she's already disgusted by him and, and He's trying to get interested in her working for E and the celebrities, and he immediately goes to Vince Vaughn, who's apparently his man crush, and how I think that they, he's like, yeah, I think, uh, you know, we, he'd really like me. I think we'd really be friends, and he'd like me. And 
Allison just goes, I'm sure he would be, you know. We all like to imagine having friends from Hollywood. The thing is, there's like three or four Hollywood people my age, including Natalie Portman, including uh, Morena uh, Baccarin from Homeland, Deadpool, Serenity, Firefly, etc. Um, Scarlett Johansson. And a couple others that I'm really only one degree removed from in terms of people who like knew them from from school. Uh, so you get ideas in your head like you might actually meet them and hang out. I mean, Scarlet, there's no way, but you know, Kristen Ritter, uh, I wouldn't mind parting with her. Okay, I'll get back to the show here. Right, someone's in her house. I think it's Billy again, the crackhead, and that's what's so great. He's so clearly on crack and up in her grill that he is the last. Oh, maybe not. Uh, uh, my my shit. Jessica never tries to, you know, kill or mortally wound people if she can. Oh, right. Trish. Yeah, she, right. Trish can't get close to Jessica. Jessica keeps telling Trish to go away for her own safety. Now, Trish hires this guy who somehow gets in to fix the door or whatever. Everyone's trying to fix Jessica's door. Definitely symbolic. You know, she's got a closed door, but it's not locked. And she wants to leave it unlocked. She could easily take care of that herself. Here's Trish talk. It's so great. You know, she's glamorous. She's beautiful. You know, she dresses great. I mean, and this is the thing in big cities, in New York and Philly, you know, popular radio hosts, you see their faces in Philly, it's mostly sports, you know, Howard Eskin or Mike Missanelli or all these douchebags, you know, Patricia is truly a, a class act. She appeals to the people. God, you're relentless. She's a woodpecker. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh-oh, you're turning into your mother. That's a low blow. Did she say Did she say low blow? Yeah, low blow, Jess. Yeah, Jessica knows it. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> oh. Robin. Yeah, she scared Robin shitless. Fraternal. Fraternal. Like, yeah, obviously. <laughs> Yeah, my sister's about to give birth to twins. It's two boys. We think it's fraternal. We won't know for sure. It could be identical. Um, I'm fascinated by twins, and you know, in real life, in film and television, and in books and so forth. So I'm excited about it. I, I was thrilled. It made total sense. A lot of my favorite books, you know, and TV properties and movies and so forth have twins. Dune, Star Wars. Um, well, in, in Firefly and Serenity, they're not twins, but they have like a weird connection i guess but the brother sister thing scarlet witch and quicksilver for sure from avengers age of ultron and from the comic books they nail the subways i mean yeah it's it's new york it really makes it a lot easier to just plant a flag and say okay we're gonna have to spend a few million more dollars per series to do this in new york but it's gonna sell the whole thing so the indistinct chatter um, as as the subtitles say here, you know, gives us the impression that maybe she does have enhanced hearing. We know that when the, the color palette turns blue, dark blue and black, that she's having flashbacks to Kilgrave. Come back here. Whoa. Yeah, those windows are not easy to break. 
So, right, and now there's more muttering. Maybe she's got enhanced hearing, you know? Maybe she's just more sensitive. That's why she's a PI. That's why she's a great investigator. Uh, Here come the streets. This is so real, you know? This is like such a weird therapy device that you'd think JJ would be the last one to embrace, but she has nothing else. And eventually, Trish, when she finally lets Trish in, I said it was this episode, it might be one more, she has true emotional support. So it was a great touch for the first part of her investigation to be, okay, it's got to be Kilgrave. How did he survive? I saw it happen. He got smashed by that bus. And him getting smashed by that bus was the only thing that let me get away, or at the moment, maybe she's thinking that's the reason. Um, She hasn't fully considered the fact that she might have broken the spell based on events that happened just before what we saw involving Luke Cage's wife. So this is all just setting up how uh, Kilgrave basically mind-controlled, you know, (laughs) surgeons and nurses and ambulance people and so forth to secretly, you know, resurrect him, basically, by giving him new organs and blood and so forth. But it's important to sell the investigation because, you know, when episode one starts, she serves a summons (laughs) for... For Hogarth, serves a summons to that sleaze bag by lifting his car and threatening him with her laser eyes. And then she's investigating Luke, but we still don't know why she's investigating Luke. This is about to be heartbreaking up here in a second. We'll get there. Another real part of this, you know, but we haven't seen her really do a complicated case from getting to end. The Hope case was way too easy. That was the point. It was a trap by Kilgrave. She solved it way too quickly, and then, it, you know, the solving made no difference because Hope did, you know, what, what Kilgrave wanted, uh, wanted her to do. Kilgrave um, had her do what he wanted her to do. The Lord is incredible, maker of lives. Yeah, they got crosses. She's talking about God. Thing is, you need religion to believe that it, you'd want to keep someone like this alive. He's already transmitting with his eyes. This guy looks like uh, like Chris Pratt's brother. Um, he's already transmitting with his eyes that he wants to die. Jessica, I'm sure, knows. Yeah, pray with us. You know, you wonder if people get religious because of this situation. It seems like they already were. I'm not saying only religious people would keep people alive, connected to a machine. Right, Jessica gets her out of the room, seeing if she can interview this guy in some way. Girls always liked him, yeah. Look, that's going to make things better. Look at all the crosses. Yep, this is a connection with Daredevil. And that's the thing. I mean, the whole point of using Hell's Kitchen, you know, people who don't know New York or have lived there, Hell's Kitchen now is a very, very highly desired area. But, you know, in the first, you know, 50, 60 years of the the 20th century, you know, into the 60s and 70s, it was like the murder capital neighborhood of, of New York, or at least Manhattan, hence the name Hell's Kitchen. And so there's a built-in retroness about Daredevil and Jessica Jones and all of the defenders in this whole sub-universe within Marvel. He's about to write Kill Me on the thing. 
But, uh, no, Kilgrave. Yeah, that's not what he's writing. Kill me. Yeah, she, I'm sure, considers it. But anyways, you know, the fact that everyone's sort of religious, it's like the old school with the Irish and the Italians and so forth. I can't. This is an impossible role to play, this this guy. He's doing, doing the best he can. You've upset him. And yeah, Jessica has that effect on people. Again, the, you know, an emotional character moment that you don't need from a plot standpoint, but complicates Jessica's character, you know, shows that she does have real empathy and sympathy for people, despite her, you know, hard-ass exterior. <laughs> you know, she never questions her own uh, sloppiness, but she's always on top of other people for theirs. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's really like the the uh, <laughs> cougar <laughs> to pick away at other people's happiness. You're not all that. He's got a huge crush on her, which gets him killed later. That's the line that sold me on the series. Mid-episode uh, two, lady, you're such a perceptive asshole. She acknowledges the, all of those things being true. I mean, you know, this movie is so self-aware and self-conscious without being overly self-referential, if that makes sense. You know, it's uh, it's not that it's making fun of itself. It's just the characters in this universe, as bizarre and dark and weird as they can get, are, are all uh, self-aware in a way that um, you don't always see in daily life, but that feels real. Oh, boy. All right. Here it is. Right, solve this. Right. Her husband didn't hire her. We just saw who hired her. Right, you hired yourself to get rid of Luke's competition, which, of course, not only is wrong, but from a timeline standpoint, she hadn't even considered hooking up with Luke when she was doing this job. Right, so she went to her husband immediately confessed, thinking that her husband was behind it. Oh, here it comes. You needed the brawl in the second episode. There's only two big real fight scenes. Um, well, maybe three, actually. It, it, it's about to be her and Luke fighting together, and then she fights Luke later in the series, and then, I guess, the final episode, trying to get to Kilgrave. Uh, but both fights involve Luke. I think I might have missed it there, where the lady suggested that, you know, if my husband didn't hire you, then who did? And they never really answer it. And again, I think that's the writer, is just trusting us that... You know, even if we don't put it together that it was definitely Kilgrave behind it, we're at least questioning it. And that's the whole point of Kilgrave. Oh, here we go. Thing is, Luke has no need for her help, but she's going to do it anyways. The comparative power stuff here is amazing. So there's a shot coming up where Luke, like, flicks a guy, like, 20 feet away. Uh, which is great. Here we go. <laughs> Alright, Luke's... Uh, what? What? 
right there. Boom. He just, he barely slapped there. He, I mean, that's the thing. Luke Cage, I don't know who Iron Fist is, but when Luke Cage comes out, I mean, you know, Daredevil's the best fighter from a skill standpoint. Uh oh. <laughs> oh. Uh, you know, Jessica's crafty and can jump, you know, jump around. And, uh, Luke has bulletproof skin and, you know, Captain America level strength, it seems like. Right. He doesn't want to kill these guys or paralyze them. But Luke Cage is going to be, at least among the three of them, the most unstoppable. I mean, he's like, you know, a mini version of Thor or something indestructible. And the way that Jessica actually takes him down by necessity late in the series is awesome. From the sheer force of uh, a shotgun blast to the the head. Teamwork. Yes, exactly. She can smell the teamwork. And that's the thing. Another line. Two words. Teamwork. That's setting up the whole Defenders universe. She's the first one to see it of the three main uh, Defenders characters. Uh, Iron Fest yet to be introduced. You know, he knows that he didn't need her, but he, I'm sure he appreciated the effort. <laughs> Here's another. So we're three, I'm sorry, we're two episodes in, and we've had three shots of her just pass the fuck out from drinking. It's great. All right, so so this is all the investigation. Um, I, I don't know if I finished before, but, you know, since... In the first episode, you could tell she was good at her job, but we were told that she was good at her job. You know, between, you know, the Luke thing not going anywhere and her actually getting baited in a trap with Hope um, from Kilgrave, we really need to see her start an investigation from the beginning to the end. And the first thing she needs to find out is how Kilgrave could have survived. And I won't linger on this too long. You know, once it happens, it makes sense that he would just take organs from people and they would have nothing to, to say about it um, or nothing they could do. Another great shot, the focus on focus, the color. Oh, yeah, this is funny. Yeah, th- this is totally a comic book thing. The professor just runs away from her. This guy's a great character actor. I don't know the difference between an allele and a chromosome. How does he know who she is? He can just smell that sh- that she's not <laughs> from around here. Yeah, she uh, just smells it. This is great. Look, the camera doesn't. Yeah, the camera doesn't even start moving till he starts running. It's great. We got to have chase scenes. It's the thing. They didn't need nearly the budget for this series as Daredevil. And that's fine. I'm sure they were fine with it, you know. They spend their time and money with filming, uh, you know, tons of camera angles, the way they do color and movement. And it's supposed to feel like an old-school PI, you know, uh, series or movie from the 40s, 50s, 60s. You know, film noir shit, hard-boiled, detective stories. More blue. I mean, every shot is just perfection in this show. It's really uh, a lesson in filmmaking. 
you know, Daredevil relied too much on. Uh, well, let's be honest. It was it was filmed like a comic book. It was it was two dimensional. It, it was full, and it, it jumped off the page, if you will, on the screen. But it was kind of filmed like a side-scrolling, you know, comic book. This is way more three dimensional. But <laughs> the honesty and the type of humor. And Jessica Jones just feels like from the Marvel comic books. I didn't read her or Daredevil growing up. I was an X-Men guy. I read Iron Man. But, you know, she could totally be an an X-Man, you know, who has her own, like, side universe going on. Just the, you know, the way the jokes come out and everything being slightly off-kilter at all times. (laughs) And the three-dimensionality of the whole thing. You know, this isn't the best interaction. I mean, this is this scene is maybe the least uh, compelling of the show, which is saying a lot, because, you know, it's still great. This is the exposition. They don't really do this, you know. I think it just it wasn't that interesting. They tried to string out a whole episode of the kidney thing, and that's how Kilgrave survived. They could have easily done that in 10 or 15 minutes. But, you know, again, we need the procedural stuff. And be- there's two or three huge moments, which we've already talked about a couple of them. You know, the teamwork, um, the one where, you know, he, she tells Robin that she's a very perceptive asshole. Strongwell. Ten hours of surgery. Kilgrave watched the entire time. Oh, right. This is the... He refused to be put under. Right. He's not a masochist. He didn't want to be unconscious. Right, this is the important thing. Yeah, it's different when he sleeps. Sufentanil. Yeah, that's the more important thing. It's not how he survived, but how... This is it. That's his weakness. This is the turning point. You know, and the thing is, this could be such a weird deus ex machina of using anesthesia, and they use this device, or talk about this device you know, throughout the series, but because of the way they utilize it and that it backfires sometimes, and it is a really cool idea that the way to shut down a telepath is not to put them to sleep, but to put them out unconscious with, uh, with, with strong anesthesia. She needs to know she has a weapon, but what she discovers throughout the series is that her true weapon is not the sufentanil, is, is not the, the uh, anesthesia medicine. It's her resistance to Kilgrave. But we will get there. Here's Carrie Ann Moss looking amazing for a middle-aged lady. You know. I mean, she, you know, she's definitely borrowing from the the cocky bitchiness of Trinity. But Trinity had an amazing heart. You know, Trinity just put out, uh, you know, that kind of cockiness to to try and be strong in a terrible situation. <laughs> You should be excited. You killed your parents. You're going to be on death row. You should be thrilled that I'm here. Jessica Jones sent me. God, per- Hope just has the perfect look. She's very pretty, but, you know, she looks, with the way they do the makeup and the hair and the outfit, she really looks like a victim. And she's so sad. I mean, you're always with her. You know it's not her fault, even if you're watching this for the first time, but. So, you know, this is the threesome. 
that ultimately doesn't achieve what they want to achieve. But Jessica, Hogarth, and uh, Hope trying to make things happen. And I guess Trish is the fourth part when she interviews Hope. Uh, but that doesn't end so well. Sufantanelle. I gotta look up whether Sufantanelle's a real thing, you know. I remember seeing this and going, oh no, this whole show is gonna be about Sufantanelle, but uh, they they don't fall into that trap at all. Is this the new window? Oh, there it is. Alias Investigations, which is from the comics. Brian Michael Bendis. I'm gonna, I'll do some more uh, research. I mean, I've done it, but I need to refresh my memory of where Jessica Jones came from when, you know, she wasn't a big character until the last decade or two at least, maybe more recently with, with Bendis' work. But, you know, th- th- this is a case of a television version of a property, you know, so far not outclassing. I'm sure the comic books are great. What I've read, you know, are a lot of fun and are excellently written and drawn. But, you know, this is going to be in the same way that, you know, Robert Downey Jr. has taken over Tony Stark slash Iron Man, which is saying a lot because I read Iron Man growing up well before Robert Downey Jr. And it was a popular, but not super popular property. I just like the idea. But I can't even read those comics now because I just think of Robert Downey Jr. And when I do read like X-Men comic books and Iron Man shows up, I'm thinking Robert Downey Jr. And Jessica Jones, Kristen Ritter, and vice versa. Yep, here it is. It is in this episode that Trish finally starts to pull Jess towards her. Oh, she's bleeding. You're going, uh oh. <laughs> My traitor. Oh, this is so great. I remember seeing this the first time. Because you're still on the fence about Trish. She's obviously a very good actress and they have great chemistry. She cares about Jessica. And I'm nothing like my mother. Yeah. <laughs> Look in the mirror. Uh, namaste. <laughs> That's not what's happening here. When do we? When are we told explicitly that they grew up together? I can't remember. Uh, she's so hardcore because she must. She has had stalkers over the years. We find out that that's the case. Yeah, they're clearly billing her to be a superhero going forward. You know, most of her helping with Jessica throughout the rest of this is a support, often a decoy, a driver, you know, just just general backup. And so, you know that she can fight. I wonder if they were just leaving it open. Oh, this is actually Kilgrave. This is the first time we see him, quote-unquote, live, not in a flashback or a nightmare or something like that. Uh, David Tennant... You know, I mean, <laughs> Kristen Ritter could have carried a first season, but with all the great support characters, and we'll have plenty of time to talk about them, David Tennant is the greatest Marvel villain, with all apologies to Loki. And part of that's just because, you know, we've seen Loki, <laughs> he smashes the car. We've seen Loki in three movies, but he's not on screen that much. And this is a way more subtle thing. Loki, although complicated because Tom Hiddleston is a brilliant performer. <laughs> he tells the kids to go to the closet. It's horrible. Um, you know, as I mentioned, 
Kilgrave is not interested in global or even national control. He just wants to get what he wants, which is mostly beautiful girls. And he's dissatisfied with everyone after Jessica. And so it's all about getting Jessica back. So this begins the, right, the obedience, uh, they're peeing in the closet. I mean, that's the thing. You never see this. Yeah. That thus begins the confusion or, um, thus begins the confusion mixed with obedience. He's got the knife. You know, when they're being told to do something, you know, their first reaction before the mind control fully takes over is to question it. And if that happens, he just restates it and tells them to smile, and they're immediately on board. But we find out later, as they've already been talking about a bit with Hope and Jessica, that, oh, here's a cockroach representing Kilgrave. That, you know, people remember and regret it and, and remember the feeling of being forced um, to to do things. Game on. Right. Uh, kills the cockroach. Going to try and squish uh, Kilgrave too if she can. Puts on the shirt. That's the thing of having a long slender body that you can get dressed so easily. Uh-oh. <laughs> Everyone's breaking into her apartment. It's the point. She, she embraces it. All right. Adrenaline. Right, I saw you and you saw me. I can't wait for more Luke hand flicking and guys flying across the room. That's such a brilliant concept. So, she's so vulnerable around him, you know. Her guard drops, and she often says things that she regrets. This is awesome. This is totally, you know, a comparative powers thing. You know it's going to happen, but it looks amazing. It's totally seamless. Just sparks coming off his chest. Uh, Nothing made of stone he's bulletproof he wants to share it with someone this is so intimate here i'm always talking about intimate touches other than kissing and having sex you know whether it's holding someone's face in your hand or right putting your hand this is like uh when uh uh hawkeye's wife uh jeremy renner's wife in age of ultron played by linda carnellini is feeling where his tissue was replaced, and she's just holding her hand there, holding her hand there. That's all you need to know. What did they just say? I missed the last line. But yeah, in two episodes, they've completely built up, you know, the possibilities of what a Luke-Jessica relationship or relationships will look like going forward. All right, great episode. Can't wait to jump into number three. Hope you enjoyed it, and the bizzle is out.